This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And you are listening to Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. I'm really excited about that song because that's my friend's band, Moon Taxi. Really? Yeah, they're out of Nashville. It's a great song, Moon Taxi. Moon Taxi, they're fun. Everybody should download it. (laughs) That's right. Um, But, you know, we are not Hits One on Sirius XM. Hits One. (laughs) Hits One. We are dollars and change, so we talk about the intersection of business and social impact. We just had a great conversation with uh, Associate Professor Shane Jensen. He is a statistics Mm -hmm. person and focused on urban analytics. We're going to continue that urban theme and Mm -hmm. and think about about how we make our investments in urban revitalization. Uh, we are welcoming back to the show Peter Shear, who is the head of corporate responsibility for J.P. Morgan Chase. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Nick, thanks. It's good to be with you guys. It's great to be back. So, you know, you had we had you on the show about a year ago, I believe, and you know, you we talked about what you were doing in Detroit. But let's give our listeners a, a recap of sort of what you are hoping to achieve in, in Detroit, and then the the more recent announcement that you made. So we, uh, Nick, as we had talked about last year, uh, three years ago, really starting four years ago, we we started looking at whether or not we could have an impact in Detroit. Uh, It's a city that we as a firm had been part of for 80 years, um, but it was clearly on the decline, losing population. Uh, When we originally went in and looked to see whether or not there's something we could do. The city was still in bankruptcy. The new mayor hadn't been elected. And over the course of really six or eight months, we did a lot of analysis, looked at a lot of data to understand whether or not there was an opportunity for us and whether or not we thought we had a reasonable chance of moving the needle. So in in May of 2014, we announced that we would be making a $100 million five-year investment uh, in the city. The what we announced uh, a few weeks ago in early May on the third anniversary was that what we thought would take five years, we've actually now surpassed the hundred million, uh, and we expect that by the end of the five-year period, uh, the our investment will reach uh, close to 150 million dollars. And part of that, I think the the what the what the great news story is, it's not just more money coming in, but the progress that we're seeing on the ground has been extraordinary. And and this is an example of we've talked about in the past, we really used a market-based approach. Mm-hmm. So half of the money that we have deployed have been through loan funds, long, you know, longer-term, lower-cost funds, but, but a market approach in which the expectation is that those loans will be paid back. In three-plus years, we haven't had one default in one fund. Wow. Now, I'm, not, I'm knocking on wood as I say <laughs> yeah, that. Sure. We, we will at some point. That's the nature of risk, risk capital. But as a but bank, as really, that's, a, that's a, you know, a major statistic and an and a indicator that you look huge. for. It is it is it is huge, and what it's meant is we've also it's meant these funds are actually making money back, and so in the in three years on on fifty million in investment funds we've made back close to seven million, and we're redeploying that into the city. So and, uh, and Peter, I just want to interrupt for our listeners yes, who might Danny. not be familiar with the sort of you know funds how how these funds might work in you know, economic development. Give us an example. Tell us a story about someone who's able to take advantage of one of these, not take advantage of, <laughs> utilize, yeah, no, no, uh, utilize, you know, one of these loans. 
Well, I'll give you a great example. So, which is, it's not one of our bigger funds, but I think I would say it's one of more more important funds. Which actually, we 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 did not initially envision when we went into Detroit. One of the things that we saw was that a lot of uh, minority entrepreneurs, people who wanted to either start or expand small businesses, were having a lot of trouble getting access to capital. And, you know, part of that was the state of the city. Part of that is some people may have had, you know, they may have had a bankruptcy. They may not have had the right collateral. But you had people who generally wanted to start businesses and couldn't get the capital and the support to do that. And in working with the mayor and the Kellogg Foundation, we created uh, something called the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund, uh, which uh, has now to date in about a year and a half uh, deployed over 300, deployed over $3 million, 41 loans. Uh, we've created 250 jobs out of that. We've retained another 130 jobs. 46% of the entrepreneurs who are accessing the, the fund are women. Um, 80%, 90% actually are in the neighborhoods where you really need the economic growth. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't a fund. Again, we haven't had a default. So you're seeing here an example of where you're providing the opportunity for people to really be part of the revitalization of the city they want to. In fact, the, when, we, when we kicked off this fund, the mayor and I did a, an event. It was in December of uh, 15, and it was, a, it was a cold night in December, and the Detroit Lions were playing, and we had about 300 people who came out to say, how do we, how can we get a part of this process. So that's an example. The other thing, you know, two of our big funds, not to not to filibuster here, although I am <laughs> sitting in Washington, um, you know, two of our funds have been economic development funds. And I think one of the, Nick, you talked about sort of the, the metrics of what we look at. One of the things that's interesting for us as a bank, when we first went in to Detroit three years ago, there was very little market rate capital. It was all it was all subsidized capital, philanthropic capital, government capital. Now you're starting to see more and more market rate capital coming in. So there was a building that we helped finance called the Scott Building, which is a beautiful new condominium complex, which we announced in 2015. Half of the $70 million cost of that was uh, a market rate loan from Fifth Third Bank. So to us, the fact that you're now seeing, you know, financial institutions go into Detroit, seeing the opportunity to make money is a great thing. Uh, and, and this is where I think this is kind of the point of what you guys have talked about so often. Where can you use market-based business approaches to really have a positive social and economic impact? And I think Detroit is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I mean, and Peter, that that is exactly what we talk about on this show, as, as many of our listeners will know. It's also what we talk about with our guests. And I think what I find interesting about your approach, you know, in corporate responsibility, like you are not the head of impact investing at J.P. Morgan Chase, but you know, you're in corporate responsibility. And what we hear from foundations and businesses, et cetera, is that we're expanding the tool set, the toolbox um, of, of options for, for affecting change. And so right. I have a little bit of a technical question for you um, in terms of these, the loans that you're actually giving out. Are these coming out of the a foundation so they sort of qualify as program related investments or are so these coming out of a different it, fund? It's a, it, it's a great question. So two of two of the... Fifty million, we we actually lent to two uh, CDFIs, community development finance institutions, Invest Detroit and Capital Impact Partners. Yep. So those are direct. So those loans to those 
CDFIs are directly off our balance sheet. Okay. Okay. In so entrepreneurs of color, for example, we help create a we we help create the fund, but we're working with an organization uh, uh, called the Detroit Development Corporation to actually implement that. Some we're working with a local uh, uh, African American owned bank to do some of the residential loans. So, so you found some great intermediaries. Know, we we well some of the, yeah, some of this we're doing ourselves with the with the economic development and some of this we have great we look for great partners and I think Nick kind of said you know your question I think one of the challenges in this whole impact investing um, world is it, it it often becomes a theoretical conversation mm-hmm. I over, I actually oversee our impact investing for the firm this is impact investing absolutely exactly when and so you know what we have to do when we talk about I think one of the challenges people have been looking for impact investing opportunities just for the sake of proving a concept we're impacting we're we're using that model to actually drive actual change in a community and I think it's something that frankly can be replicated not all, not just over the all over the country but all over the world. Yeah, and I think the success you're finding in it gives you the opportunity to help almost de-risk it for others, right? So when you're saying Absolutely. you know the the profile of your investments, you know that 46% of those uh, individuals who took up those loans were women, you know that 90% lived in those communities. Those are case studies that you can say Here's the success. Here's our track record so that some other bank that might be a little less innovative or a little bit, you know, more risk averse might be able to say, but, you know, but let's take a look at what J.P. Morgan did and it worked. So to that point, Peter, how are you how are you sharing these stories? How are you hoping that your success in Detroit can be amplified to other cities right. um, to, to make the most of the incredible, you know, innovation that you guys made happen? Right. So, Stanley, a couple things. It's a, it's a great question. I mean, one of the you know one of the things we applied is going on shows like yours, and hopefully, people from other companies and banks are listening and say and say let's do that. But the other thing, more directly, we really from the beginning we've looked at Detroit, you know, as as a bit of a laboratory to experiment on new approaches because it was the type of thing you had to try a, a bunch of different things to see what would work and 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 where you can move the needle. So we just talked about the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund. We are now replicating that program. In three other cities around the United States. I mean, because the, 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 I mean, one of the things I, I say repeatedly, the challenges in Detroit may have been extreme. They're not unique. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the need for access to capital for minority businesses, the need for economic development in neighborhoods, the need for, you know, workforce skills programs that work, all of these issues, you know, I, I was listening at the end, your last guest was talking about having been in Hong Kong and Tokyo. We, we're we're uh, doing some of this work around the world because none of these issues are unique. So the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund we're now replicating in three other cities. Another example you know, blight has been a major challenge in Detroit. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it is it it is you know a hundred times what it is in the next most challenged city. One of the first investments we made was in a technology approach called Motor City Mapping to actually use technology to map blighted properties. And we worked with a with a local firm in Detroit called uh, Loveland Technologies. It has been so because part of our view is that if you can solve blight in Detroit, you can solve it anywhere. It has been so successful that we've now taken that technology and are using it in in three Ohio cities, in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. So so we are we are actively using what we have learned 
in Detroit. The work we've done around neighborhoods in Detroit has become a national program called Pro Neighborhoods. The work we're doing around the skills gap and how do you create a better workforce system to better align the job training programs with the jobs that are created in that community is becoming a national model. And I think more broadly, one of the things we've been kind of preaching is that the approach, one of the, the one of the big differences, and we would not have made the investment without, was you've got a mayor in Detroit who's not getting into partisan games and not worrying about if you're a Democrat or Republican, but working with the business community, the nonprofit community, the philanthropic community, you know, Democrats, whoever it is, focus on solving problems. And frankly, that's the model that we think is what's needed. We would not have made this invest. We didn't have to make this investment as as a firm. And if we didn't think we would have had a chance at success, we wouldn't have. But the fact that you had this incredible collaboration among all the key players in the city was the thing that ultimately gave us confidence to make that investment. We're here with Peter Shear, who is the head of corporate responsibility for J.P. Morgan Chase on Dollars and Change. And we're talking about their investments in Detroit and urban renewal. Uh, if you want to give us a call, give us a ring at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And Peter, I just wanted to kind of I wanted to change the subject slightly um, to ask you as the head of corporate responsibility. I'm sure, you know, J.P. Morgan has a lot of inbound traffic, a lot of inbound requests for your philanthropy, for, you know, whatever programs you may have. But how are you for a hundred million dollars? <laughs> right. Like yeah, how, exactly. you know, how are you thinking as a manager, as you know, someone who is overseeing all of this work, you know, to have your staff go find these awesome opportunities and innovate? How are you thinking about that from yeah. if you if you go from like corporate responsibility and, and what's ha- what are the trends there? So I, I would say a couple of things. And, and this goes back for us you know, probably five years, Nick, you know, we were, and I think a lot of corporations in this situation, you spend a lot of money, but it's not clear. And you, and you probably give it to worthy charities, but you think about it more as charity and public relations than actual impact. And so we undertook a fairly extensive uh, kind of strategic self-evaluation about five years ago. And, you know, at the time we were spending several hundred million dollars a year and it, and and to be fair, it wasn't clear what we were what we were getting for that wh- where we were having real impact. And I and and the conclusion that we came to was we were spread too thin. You know, we were we were a mile wide and an inch deep. And we and what we did was we decided what what are the areas where we think we can really make a difference on issues that not only require financial resources, but require expertise, require data, where can we put people to work, really using the whole um, the whole range of resources and expertise that the firm has available. So we, we narrowed the list literally down to four strategic areas, workforce development, which is a huge issue when you talk about employment, neighborhood and community development, small business and financial capability. So we said those these are the four things we're going to focus on. We went out and we hired experts in that field. So Chauncey Lennon, who had run all the workforce programs at the Ford Foundation, Janice Bowdler, who'd run community development at the National Council of La Raza, Whitney Smith, 
who had been at the Joyce Foundation. We we created this J.P. Morgan Chase Institute, which Diana Farrell, who had run the McKinsey Global Institute, now runs. So get you know focusing on areas, getting the right talent, utilizing our utilizing data. I mean, you you I know you guys talk about that a lot, but there has not been enough kind of data and analysis mm-hmm. on where are you putting the money and and are you having impact? Are you know one of the things we've seen in Detroit, we've changed probably ten things since. We We've started because things have not worked, and that's been fine. That's what this is what risk capital should be doing. You should be trying new and innovative things. So part of what we've done is we've literally put boots on the ground. So we send into Detroit now what we call service teams of of our you know top employees from literally around the world. Uh, to work with some of the nonprofits, because part of the question is you're you're putting a lot of reliance on nonprofits to deliver on these challenges, and what kind of support and capacity do they need to do that? So, for example, Focus Hope, which is a very important workforce partner of ours, was having trouble with their HR system. Well, you know, J.P. Morgan has thousands of HR people running around, so we sent a team of HR people in to help help them design a better HR system. We send people in to Eastern Market to do business planning. There are technology solutions, you know. So so we are essentially putting people on the ground. We're not just writing a check and and you know, you ask I mean to get to the simple answer, what I say to our folks is if the only thing we can do is write a check, then we, we shouldn't be writing that check. Yeah. Well, and if the, there's and not the- it, and I think oh, the reality ahead. is a lot of folks write checks and don't have the default rate you guys have, right? So yes. so what is the secret sauce? And that's where I was curious, you know, you're talking about the skills that are inherent in your in your talent pool and in your firm. Obviously that investment analysis is going a long way to picking the right investments in individuals well, to be receiving this funding. And you and it has to look. And I think Sandy, your point is traditionally a lot of corporate philanthropy is you know they write a check, they do a nice press release, maybe they have an event, and they get a, then they get and an article in the paper <laughs> and, and a T-shirt, and then no one worries about it. Yeah. We now so we have quarter we get quarterly I get a quarterly review of every single loan fund we have in Detroit, so I can see literally loan by loan, is it performing? You know, are the individual loans performing, and is the broader thing having a stated purpose. And you know what? If it's not working, it's not a matter of – I mean, part of it's accountability. This is, this is our shareholders' money and the firm money. But if it's not working, I want to try something different. I don't want to stick with some approach that may have looked good when we started but didn't work. I mean, small business is a perfect example of that in Detroit. When we had started in 2014 – much of our investment on in small business was focused on small business incubators, which mm-hmm. were worthy. The, pro- the bigger problem was minority entrepreneurs couldn't get access to capital. And mm-hmm. so we said, all right, let's, let's shift. Let's do something different here. And the only way you can do that is if you're constantly g- getting the data, analyzing the data, understanding what's happening. This J.P. Morgan Chase Institute is doing incredible work, as I mentioned. We're using the consumer data. You know, J.P. Morgan has banking relationships with 60 million American households. You think about all the debit card, credit card transactions. So we can actually look now. We're looking in 15 cities, including Detroit, to understand where is money being spent, by whom, and on what. So as you're investing in small business, what are the types of small businesses that there are market for? So it's very much a data analytical approach to, to economic development in these cities. 
Peter, I, first of all, you know what I love ha- when I love having you on the show is is you, your your passion <laughs> really comes out about all of this, and you know not just about the actual work you're doing, but sort of you know the field broadly. And so, as you think about you know you guys just invested in decided to invest another fifty million dollars in Detroit, what are the outcomes that you really want to see, and you know how does it? As Sandy may have asked earlier, how is it moving on beyond Detroit too? Well, so, I mean, look, the outcomes we want to see is we want to see Detroit coming back. We want to see people moving in. We want to see business activity increasing. And we're seeing that. I mean, right now, you could not rent an apartment in downtown Detroit if you wanted to. Really? You cannot rent it, probably even in Midtown. They're about 98% capacity. Wow, that is just wonderful to hear. Yes. So, and so part of the challenge now is how do we move that economic development into the neighborhoods? And this is something the mayor has been focused on. Sounds like Shane Jensen, our previous guest, could probably help with that. He should have stayed on. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, so look, so part of it is, look, we want to, we're, we've been in Detroit 80 years. We want to be there for another 80. So we're going to make sure that continue very focused on the Detroit investment. But both of it is a model. We're spending a lot of time now. There's the the woman who's running our um, uh, city's work, is a woman named Irene Baker, who came from Governor Cuomo in New York, who had run a lot of his economic development work. And what we're doing is we're, we're talking to other mayors and other civic leaders about the model. Because one of our conclusions is, and I think this is when you talk about urban development, you can't do this if you if you don't have everyone at the table. Mm-hmm. And you really need you need political leadership, you need business leadership, you need nonprofit leadership, you need community leadership. You know, in a lot of these, you know, there's there's there are racial divisions in a lot of places. JP Morgan can't come in as a company and say, hey, we're gonna tell you how to fix your city. What what we can do is if there are if you have the right people around the table we can bring expertise, we can bring resources, we can bring knowledge of what we've done in other places to try to help catalyze that, which is exactly what we've done um, in Detroit. And so, you know, we're we're eager to, to work with um, other cities and other places where you have this kind of collaboration. I think this I think what where you would be surprised, guys, is a lot of places don't have that. I mean, there are just a lot of places you got the, you know, you got the mayor who's off on one agenda, the business mm-hmm. community doing its own thing. You yeah. got non profits who are competing with each other. Peter, yep. we definitely see right. that here in Philadelphia. And I'm sure, you know, there are plenty of other communities that would definitely, you know, want J.P. Morgan Chase's capital to do this. But I think those those right ingredients are super important. So we are at the end of our segment. Thank you so much, Peter Shear, head of corporate responsibility for J.P. Morgan Chase, for joining us. This has been a fun couple of segments to kick off our show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Daniel Corshin, Associate Professor of Marketing at Drexel. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 